crackle. Hello, Hava. Hello. Welcome to Chai. How are you after dark? Uh, yes. <laughs> it's not after dark at all. It's Chai. How are you? Rainy day edition. Uh, yeah, I'm trying to get ungrumpy. It's going to happen soon. Will it help if I if I whisper more sultry nothings into the microphone? Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, so no is what I'm hearing. Uh, I didn't say that. I didn't. I say that. I know, but you communicated it nonetheless. I'm feeling slowly starting to feel better. That's good. You're you're doing a good job. I try. I do, I do my best work on this pod. People don't know this, but this pod is really secretly Michael's therapy. I'm hired by Michael's therapist to cheer him up once a week. <laughs> Surprise. Yeah, you might be. You might be. I would be great at that job if it were a job. Cheering me up? Cheering people up in general, I oh, think. Okay, yeah. Yeah, maybe you should be a podcaster. <laughs> yeah, because, yeah, that's really. Because therapists aren't really supposed to cheer you up. Yeah. They're supposed to. <laughs> Which is why they're so useless. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So you're grumpy. Mm, grumpy. You, you're just fresh off a work meeting. Yes, I am fresh off a work meeting. Yeah on that uh no i just you know work you know sometimes work is annoying work sucks i know i didn't say that because my you know who knows who's listening to this <laughs> work is wonderful i know this show is very pro work we love to work here at hi how are you oh fun thing related to work you know how sag afra is on strike the writers and now the actors yeah i've been seeing all about that you know who the president of SAG-AFRA is? Is it Fran Drescher? Yes, it is Fran Drescher. Okay, I only know that because I just, I didn't know she was a president, but I just saw a bunch of little Instagram videos of her giving a speech, and it was great. Yeah, I think Fran Drescher should run for president. Yeah, sure. I mean, why not? I think Fran Drescher should run for president, but playing the character of Marianne Williamson. Uh, No offense, Marianne, but I think Fran Drescher could play you better. Than you play yourself. I know, that's what I'm saying. I think Fran Drescher would be a more successful Marianne than Marianne. No, but I want Fran Drescher for a president as Fran as Drescher. As herself. Yeah, I don't I don't need yeah. I don't need anything. I'm else. picturing it sort of like, you know, a classic sort of early two thousands rom com where she runs for president as the character she's playing. You know, she sort of fakes it till she makes it. And then she realizes that she could have been herself all along. And so like three quarters of the way through the movie, she's like like, I'm just going to be me and passes a bunch of radical pro labor policies. I'm I'm happy with that movie. I would like the second half, like the ending of that movie to be yeah. the reality, you know? Right. Me too. <laughs> me too. Yeah. Fran Drescher for president. I think that's the official pod endorsement. Yep. Our first presidential endorsement here on the pod. Yeah. Fran Drescher. You should run. Do it. I mean, she's already president, technically. That's true. <laughs> Just not of the United That's States. True. That's true. She's got presidential experience. Anyway, I guess go out there and support Fran Drescher. Well, not Fran, but, you know, <laughs> go out there and support the actors and the writers or something. It's good. Yeah. Uh, how are you, Hava? How are you? Michael Bruchashim. I'm well. I'm tired i'm so tired my muscles are really tired yesterday was the big sort of like climactic moving day of my move where we moved all the furniture in a u-haul 
So I was like driving a U-Haul over town and like moving really heavy couches through doorways. So like my forearms really hurt from lifting things. I'm so tired, but everything is moved and that's incredible. I'm like finally done, free of moving. So that's like the big phenomenon. I was also almost late to record this podcast because Ace, friend of the show, my dog Ace, really loves the new backyard we have at this place, but it is so hard to get him to come in the house. Really? Like, so, because his favorite game is to be chased. So, like, anytime you try to get him, he's like, perfect. I was hoping you were going to try to get me so that I could run. And he's too clever for any tricks to get him inside the house. He's like, I see what you're trying to do. And I'm not going along with it. I see your little putting a treat out on the floor, you bitch. And I'm not coming in. Just for that, I'm going to run over and bark at the neighbors. Okay, wow. Okay, so yeah, we don't have that problem with Skeeter because Skeeter is a dumb dumb for sure. Right, and also Skeeter wants to like live inside your sweater at all times if possible. Yeah, I mean, Skeeter kind of has the same psychological issues that I have, except... (laughs) Right, that's why you two are such a great pair. Well, it's yeah, I just wish I had a larger Michael that I could, whose sweater I could climb under, you know? Right, You, you do, and it's God. And you're in their sweater right now. Yeah, but the problem with God is that God isn't very soft and cuddly. Like, the the experience of, like, having something against your skin, I don't get that. I mean, I really think this metaphor works all the way, because sometimes the dog is still nervous even when they're inside the sweater, just because they're not able to perceive the safety and comfiness <laughs> yeah, of the sweater. that's true. Speaking of nervous dogs, how's your dog doing the thunder? Uh, he's good. He wasn't bothered by the 4th of July fireworks or the thunder, that we had this morning from the big rainstorm. So, okay. yeah, Skeeter's he's been, been doing very good. Very shivery, very shivery in the thunder. Our dog is more so scared of large objects of any kind, like vacuum cleaners, even if they're not running vacuum cleaners or like uh, an exercise bicycle, unusual cars. Any oh. just like large object that he doesn't know by memory is terrifying. Oh, Skeeter loves large objects. Huh, funny. Takes all kinds yeah, to does. make the dog economy run. <sighs> it does, it does. So, yeah, I'd say I'm good. Uh, this move has been like sort of the psychological epicenter of my anxiety this summer. So it's great to have it off my plate. I can finally move on to being anxious about new things. Oh, that's so good. I'm so glad. Yeah, it never ends. It never There's ends. always something. Did you bring me a morsel? I brought you a morsel. Feed me Talmud morsels and fan me with a palm leaf. Oh, okay, great. Okay, great. So we had a listener, they called in. Okay. And they had a question about an interesting passage in Gitin 35a. So I want to bring your attention to Gitin 35a. Take me there. So we are talking about a particular situation, about the legal um, fiduciary ramifications around when a husband dies and leaves a widow and orphan. Classic. Okay, okay. So Classic Talmudic discussion. You've read about Ketubot. You've gone deep into that, I, I think, at one point. Yeah, I mean, not like deep relative to like how deep it is possible to go, but deep in that I have spent a significant amount of time thinking about the topic, yeah. Okay, well, one thing I didn't know until I read this commentary was that 
part of a ketubah is a financial, at least an originally, there's a financial obligation that if the husband ever divorces the wife, he has to give her a certain amount of money. Right. It's very much like the way we think of contracts today often is like if a contract gets terminated early, there's some kind of termination fee. And that's like what the ketubah is like. Basically, if the husband has to terminate the ketubah, which is a contract of marriage, for some reason, then there's like a sort of consolation price. And apparently this also holds for when a husband dies. So right. a widow is allowed to get some of the estate as it's laid out in the ketubah, some of that estate so that she can take care of herself. Mm -hmm. So this is dealing, this section of Talmud is dealing with interesting situation where there's the husband's property, you know, as it's kind of defined as the husband's property. And then there's the widows and the orphans and how that is split up okay. between the two. So... This is an interesting passage. I want to read the Mishnah to you, actually. A widow can collect payment from her marriage contract from the property of the orphans only by means of an oath that she did not receive any part of the payment of the marriage contract during her husband's lifetime. The Mishnah relates, the courts refrain from administering an oath to her, leaving the widow unable to collect payment of her marriage contract. Rabban Gamliel the Elder instituted that she should take, for the benefit of the orphans, any vow that the orphans wish to administer to her. For example, all the produce will become prohibited to her if she receive any payment of her marriage contract, and after stating this vow, she collects the payment of her marriage contract. Okay, so she can take her money out of the orphan's fund, Yeah. basically out of her kid's fund. Yeah. If she didn't get any of her own money during her lifetime, she didn't get paid any of her ketubah money in real time. It's she can she can take her money, but the the original rule is only if she takes an oath that she didn't take any of her money previously. Okay, but Got it. then the courts are like, no, 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 we don't want you to take an oath. We want you to instead make a vow. So there's a distinction between a right. shavua okay. and a neder. Right, and they don't want her to take a neder. No, they do. They don't want her to make. They a do want her to take a neder and not a shavua. Yes, and they want kind of just work out the neder, like work out like the promise between you and the kids, like make something arbitrary. Keep it out of the courts. Take it to arbitration. Yeah, and like make the kids like okay, the kids, you all agree that uh, you know that it's forbidden, like for the widow to eat beans if she's lying about taking any of the money. If that suffices, right. fine, just give the money. So they they create some sort of out of the court system solution with a neder as opposed to a shavua which is uh, like i swear that i have not taken any money okay so we some weird things in There's there but basically makes sense so okay this is all like legal boring stuff right right my favorite shit why is this interesting well because of what happens in the gemara that talks about this mishnah so okay. there's this question that comes up. What is the Mishnah talking about? Like, it seems to be standard issue that, like, you just take the oath and get the money. Like, why is it in the case of a widow? Why is the widow not allowed to make an oath? Why do we want them to instead make this vow, a neder, instead of a shavua? And there's this story attributed to Rav. There was an incident involving a person during years of famine who deposited a gold dinar with a widow 
and she placed the gold dinar in a jug of flour and unwittingly baked it into a loaf of bread along with the flour, and she gave the bread as charity to a poor person. After some time, the owner of the dinar came and said to her, give me back my dinar. And she said to him, may poison benefit one of my children if I derive any benefit from your dinar. And then a few days later, one of her children died. And so this is why widows are not supposed to take oaths. Okay, I have a lot of questions. Okay, let's hear some of your questions because <laughs> okay. they are addressed. What are some of the questions that are Well, first of all, this really reminds me of our story about a town called Truth. Um, yeah, and yeah. And how someone told a lie and it caused someone to die. And they were like, you know what? If you're going to lie, then like get out of here because we're basically immortal until you fuck with us. So yeah, you're yeah, evicted yeah, yeah. for lying um, about your wife washing her hair. It reminds me of that. Second of all, did she just derive spiritual benefit from giving Sadaka? Well, this is the question that the rabbis raise. It's like, wait, what is the benefit that she's getting from the dinar? She's 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 making a shavua, like a declaration that right. she received no benefit from this dinar, and it seems like she didn't. And the Gemara says that she did benefit a little bit because she used a little bit less flour because there was a coin in the bread. So she got to save a oh little bit of flour. God. So she did benefit. She did benefit, even uh, even even unwittingly. Isn't that insane? Yes. It's totally insane. It's really wild how in Talmud and in rabbinic and Torah Judaism, vows are like so powerful that they sort of like, they reverse the cause and effect relationship that promises usually have. Usually you say like, we say, I promise to like pick up your garbage this week. And yeah. then as a result of making that promise, we do the action. But in Talmud, you say, may this happen if such and such is, is true. And then by promising it, you cause something to happen that like you had no cause. You had no nothing but your promise caused it to happen. I would love that. May a delicious chicken salad sandwich appear in front of me. Right. May I get a double cheeseburger it. if I'm sitting in my chair in my office right I would love now. <laughs> for that to work. It doesn't. One way to look at this is there's a difference between neder and a shavua. So a shavua is was what's translated as oath. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing that they don't want the widow to do. And that's what she did in this situation. And this is what got okay. her kids killed. And what a shavua is, is when you're putting a restriction or a, a promise on yourself, on you doing something or not okay. doing something in the future or in the past. Got it. So like, I will eat all the chicken sandwiches in this bag of chicken sandwiches. <laughs> Maybe a better example, just to contrast it with a neder, is I will not eat chicken sandwiches. And then a neder is about objects, like restrictions to objects. So like chicken sandwiches are not allowed to me. I see. It's okay. the object is the thing that right. is... Right. You're like changing the status of the chicken sandwich yes, versus exactly. vowing to fulfill a behavior. Chicken sandwiches will not cross my lips. Right. Versus I consign I chicken sandwiches to the ninth circle of hell. And so maybe something about that makes it so that the Shavua is actually a more severe promise to break than a neder, which is interesting. And there is, I was able to find, there, it, there, there does seem to be some people who say that a Shavua is like 
a little bit worse if you break it than a net error. Right. I mean, I can see how, because like if you, if I say like chicken sandwiches are trafe to me, the consequences for eating a chicken sandwich are the consequences of eating any other trafe. Like it's, it's fine. I fucked up, but fundamentally the qualities of my vow are still true. Yeah. Yeah. But if I say I will not eat chicken sandwiches, then what I've done is not eat trafe, but actually break my vow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And there are all sorts of vows that don't involve objects that are all considered shavuah. In this chicken sandwich example, there's like you can kind of phrase it in different ways, but there's examples of shavuah that you can't really write as neders, like I will pray every day. You know, right. like, there is no flip right. side of like how to frame that where the object is the thing that Mm -hmm. is coming towards you like prayer will come to me every day in the morning at this time right but yeah so this suki is really weird the listener wanted to know like what the hell's going on why is this woman like getting so severely punished right in this example and listener i don't have an answer to your question i'm sorry Right. I mean, it seems like just because of the punishment for breaking the vow, even unknowingly, is very severe from heaven. It's strange because I think in other places in the Talmud, they talk about like, oh, if you break vow, this is how you get forgiveness for breaking your vows, which Mm -hmm. I guess maybe also awful things happened there, too. And then they went and asked Mm -hmm. for forgiveness. But just given that context, you kind of think that it isn't really materially bad things aren't happening to people when they break vows it's just some metaphysical thing that happens that you then have to get forgiveness for it's a little strange that the punishment is so severe in this case Mm -hmm. although the rabbis do say like well that's why they don't want the widow to make this vow right and in general the rabbis of the talmud have an anti-vow agenda yeah, yeah, yeah. I that that's that's true. They're kind of like, guys, don't take vows if you don't have to. Yeah, we're trying to phase this out, okay? One of the explanations they say for this particular case, like why a widow isn't allowed to take a vow, but not like someone who gets divorced. Mm. And that's because the widow is like still living with the orphans and they share mm-hmm. a household together. So it basically gets kind of messy when the widow asks for the ketubah payment mm-hmm. when they're like living in a household and kind of collectively doing stuff together so what has already counted as a payment what hasn't right. counted as a payment if she makes the oath, i see she might accidentally break it unknowingly you know but if the households are separate so the, the the loaf of bread here is a parallel to what could happen with the ketubah payment it's like just like this woman benefited and didn't know it you might benefit from your ketubah fund and not know it before you make a vow right 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 in the case of a divorce where there's separation i guess everything's a little bit more clear-cut and then the talmud yerushalmi gives another reason which is oh, okay. that basically women don't take shavuachs as seriously as neders or that's the implication because they talk about kol nidre you know about kol nidre right and so they say like well everyone knows about kol nidre so it's like they're maybe saying that women are more familiar with neder and not with shavuach so that's why Mm -hmm. you gotta get the women to do the neder basically you can't trust women because we're too dumb yes exactly classic talmud great Love it. Glad that got cut from the Bobbly. <laughs> yeah. Lots of potential reasons why uh, 
You don't want to do a Shavuot. They're more intense punishment-wise. This is really reminding me also of our favorite Talmudic superhero, Choni HaMagagel, who is the guy who drew a circle on the ground to make God make it rain. And he went in the circle and he was like, I'm not leaving this circle until you make it rain. And it's very, it's a similar kind of like magical cause and effect relationship of like saying, basically like saying you're not going to do something, forcing something else to happen. Yeah, that's kind of true. I kind of wonder, maybe the rabbis, if they had like learned about quantum entanglement, if they would have been cooler (laughs) with that shit than we are, you know? Yeah. They would have like got it more. I mean, I feel like, okay, this is like, I'm completely out of pocket here because I'm both a math baby and a science baby. But I feel like one of the reasons quantum entanglement boggles my mind the most is because I spent my whole childhood education, like most of us, learning like physics 1.0, which was basically learning that everything is not entangled and cause and effect works in this very particular way. And maybe if I hadn't basically had all of that uh, like taught to me, I would learn quantum entanglement. People would be like, oh, yeah, two things can like correspond across all this distance. Like I would be like, yeah, of course, reality is magical. It's fine. Nothing I've learned has contradicted this. Yeah, I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I don't know if it's about learning the specific physics. It's like the framing of it as this is the truth. And yeah. like, there's no like explanation of, you know, everything's kind of a model and right. this is just language we use to talk about how the universe seems to work. Right. The way we learn science and math, at least in my experience in high school and middle school, is really unhelpful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it gives us a really distorted idea of like how science and math actually like work in the world. Yeah, it would be more helpful maybe to like learn math the way maybe people learn how to play chess or like a game where it's like, look, this yeah. is a, but I don't right. know. I don't, I'm not an educator. I hear there's like lots of fucking crazy bullshit going on in math education world now. Yeah, I'm sure there are all kinds of pedagogies of math out there that we've never even heard of. This was a fun Talmudic passage. I mean, I love this boring legal shit and I love when it ties into a weird, exciting little story. I still feel like if we live in a universe where we have a God that is willing to kill a human child over a teaspoon of flour, I don't know about that. I don't know about that God. (laughs) I don't know if I'm willing to go along with that. But luckily, I don't really think that's the case. Yeah, I don't really think that's the case either. But you know what kind of I do think is the case, which still kind of fucks in my brain in the totally like freshman year dorm room conversation way? What? I was talking to Grunge Girl yesterday about like all these fucking big ass like sea creatures that existed 100 million years ago. Mm-hmm. Why did God do that? That's fucking wrong. <laughs> <laughs> fucked up if true. It's fucked up if true. It fucked up yeah. and it seems like, to be true. Like to think about that shark that's like as big as a ship. Yeah. Just yeah. like fucking mega shark. No, not cool. <laughs> no. Not cool. Or like giant slugs, some shit like well, that. Well, the reason God created those things is so we could eat them at the end of the world feast, Michael. Duh. Yeah, We've already talked true. about this. We did talk about that. We we are going to eat the We've solved creature. this problem. Well, it's really, no, God didn't create it so that we would eat those sharks. God created it so that we would get hungry for the, what's it called? What's the thing that actually lives in the sea that's dangerous? The Leviathan? Yes, yes. 
because we're going to eat the Leviathan, not the giant epic shark. But if we find right. the fossil... So these things are basically just like teasers. Yeah, for the, teasers. the fossils of these things are just like sponsored ads that God implanted in the yes, earth for yes. us to discover. Coming soon to an end-of-the-world feast near you, the Leviathan. Yeah, it's like, oh, you think this fucker is big? Yeah, just wait. You're going to get okay? to sink your teeth into the leviathan and i think also the behemoth and also the uh phoenix and the right? phoenix yeah we're gonna yeah. it's we're gonna get a surf and it's gonna be a, it's gonna be a full spectrum meal if you don't know what we're talking about listeners go listen to our episode phoenix explaining uh maybe yeah maybe that's the one that, that well it's d- listen to our episode phoenix explaining regardless because it's like one of my favorite episodes of ours the point is you're gonna eat the behemoth the leviathan and the phoenix if you're righteous at the end of the world. We might have a separate Leviathan episode. Yeah, we might. Yes. And Phoenix Planning, for those of you who don't know, used to be a patron episode before we posted it publicly. So if you're not a patron, you should uh, become one at patreon.com slash hi, how are you? So you can enjoy our backlog of Phoenix-flavored Leviathan-infused bonus episodes. All right. Well, I feel better about God doing crazy stuff hundreds of millions of years ago, sort of. Yeah. (laughs) Great. If there's anything I can give to you on this show, I hope it's that. Okay, great. Thanks. You've alleviated all my fears. Trauma healed. Trauma healed. Well, thanks for bringing that morsel, listeners. Thanks for bringing the morsel that is yourselves to listen to this podcast today. And, uh, we will talk to you again soon. Shavuot Tov. Shavuot Tov.